and you can see the impact of a substance on a person through their eyes or how they're speaking or their physical uh, demeanor or you can smell it like if it's alcohol you can smell alcohol where with somebody who's gambling and is in that that chasing it's all happening in their brain and not showing in the way that a pharmacological substance would if you have an issue with drugs or alcohol, um, an alcohol or a drug uh, use disorder, one in five people or 20% of people um, have a coexisting gambling issue. So that, that, that was the surprising thing for me was how easy it was to get into, how easy it was for your money to be taken, but how difficult if you won, it was to collect that money back. That's very difficult, apparently, is if you actually win to get that money back and then to disengage then where you, you're not seeing these trigger ads uh, was even even more difficult. Welcome to Let's Talk About Recovery, a series of talks with Professor Johanna Ivers and recovery coach and founder of the Recovery Hour, Sandra Losty. This series of talks has its origins in an International Women's Day collaboration with the professor and the recovery coach where they talked about the point at which the science and the lived experience meets. Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About Recovery. I'm Professor Johanna Ivers, Assistant Professor in Addiction at the School of Medicine, Trinity College, and the Associate Dean of Civic Engagement and Social Innovation at Trinity College. And my dear friend and co-host, Sandra Lusty. Hello. My name is Sandra Losty, recovery coach and founder of Recovery Hour. And today we are going to talk about the topic of gambling. And gambling is definitely something that I would have heard a lot about in the different support rooms that I would have been in. Uh, people uh, coming in primarily with uh, drug and alcohol issues, but either developing or already having an established gambling uh, problem. So, Johanna, tell us from the literature, what do we know about the condition of gambling or compulsive gambling or disease, uh, whatever is the terminology that is used? And what are we looking at in terms of treatment for it, if any? Well, I think just straight off, I think we're just referring to it as gambling. And there is obviously a compulsive element and the behaviours are driven by compulsive uh, and impulsivity. And stuff like that. And we'll talk about that later. But I suppose just to say that gambling involves the risking of something of value in the hope of getting something of greater value. And I suppose the the, the clue is in there is that people are often risking the stakes are high, you know, to use a gambling analogy. Um, and so what people are gambling with when, when we're talking about problematic gambling, and I guess just to, to, start, to set the parameters from the outset, we're talking about people who have an issue with gambling that has, you know, affected them in the same way as a substance use uh, disorder would be. So in other words, that it's affecting your life on a daily basis and it's preventing you from either caring for yourself or your family in the way it's interfering with your life and, mm. and it's become unmanageable. So I suppose to just set, set it from there. Um, so we can talk about gambling in two ways. Um, and I think you want to talk about it in terms of gambling as a problem in and of itself. And mm -hmm. I think what we need to say or what we know, again, from the sciences you'd put back to me is that 
it's a growing issue. Um, it's never been more prevalent and gambling services have never been more available. Um, and I, you know, so in, when I say things like that, you kind of have to get behind that. So is it that it's more of a problem now? We don't know, but we know more about it in the last, you know, couple of decades. And maybe that's because we have created a treatment space and people are able to show up. Whereas if two decades ago, you know, gambling was something you had to fix on your own or mm. um, so. So there is all of that. Um, it is a, a disorder, as you say, in the same way. And it's akin to substance use disorder in, in terms of problematic uh, issues and trying to get control on that. There are treatment services um, avail available to people. So again, like substance use, people go residential. They go for a stint um, anywhere between four weeks and 12 weeks or six months residential. Now, arguably, people that are looking at gambling or the way the system and the services are set up is globally, we have got the residential services. Um, and then there will, again, globally be community-based services or outpatient services. But in Ireland, we are I'd say we're getting better at it year on year, but we're not great. So there's a number of residential services provided um, and a small number of community-based services and individual supporting people in that space. So I think, again, in terms of a group and their needs, we really need to get behind this and, and kind of support people because I suppose gambling, like all addictions, can be devastating, but the, the parameters of gambling are much greater Mm. um than let's say the parameters of, of drug use and i say it i mean to use a, cr a crude measure you know that people can use a certain amount of substance and they can use they can take a certain amount of alcohol and there's a yes there's tolerance and and things go up all the time and your habit gets greater but the thing that's very scary about gambling well two things in fact is one is that in terms of the risk you're taking, they can be massive. People can be gambling um, their own monies. They can be gambling other people's monies. It often ventures into a space where people are trying to, as I say, take that, 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 that high-level risk in order to get this high-level gain, and it just doesn't come. Um, so, so the risks are really high. Um, and the other side of it is the visibility piece. So in other words, um, somebody can be gambling for a very long time before their family, loved ones, business partners, life partners actually know about it. So again, a bit like, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes about the women having to show up at treatment when things have got absolutely chaotic and when the level of need is so great, um, they've risked their mental health, they've risked their physical health. It's the same with the gamblers because of that visibility piece. Mm. And they're often coming and because they've tried to play this game of kind of getting it back all the time. By the time that happens, they're all often in absolute dire need. And equally to say about the people that are trying to support people who are gambling, they're often getting this heavy weighted, you know, first it's I've got an issue with gambling, but then they may have taken risks with their loved ones family home or life savings or business partners uh monies or whatever so again in terms of a person 
they're in absolute dire need when they show up to treatment generally. Mm. As I say, that level of mental health is kind of stretched. Yeah. So again, I think it's, it is a, it's a group of people that, you know, we're starting to recognize and we need to kind of grow a support system around, but we're not at all there yet. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with you with the substances, you know, you and you can see the impact of a substance on a person through their eyes or how they're speaking or their physical uh, demeanor. Or you can smell it like if it's alcohol, you can smell alcohol you know, and, and that's very obvious that intake of that substance is very obvious where with somebody who's gambling and is in that, that chasing or in that, um, yeah, the wanting the, the wanting the high, the high payback, it's all happening in their brain and not showing in the way that a pharmacological substance would, or indeed, you know, alcohol. So, um, it's quite yeah it's quite difficult to kind of spot somebody and go you've just been gambling because mm-hmm. you can say that with somebody who's had a drink you've just had a drink because I can smell the alcohol you know so totally totally get that um uh, that that's it, I mean it's very heartening to hear that this is being looked into in in this way so that we can we can kind of offer that support and see what that support is and I suppose from my perspective, from a lived experience perspective and being in support rooms for, you know, a couple of decades is I it would be quite common for me to hear people talking about gambling and alcohol, you know, interchangeably, you know, the pub and the bookies, the pub and the bookies, the pub and the bookies. And, um, and I can remember a time, I can remember that time where you didn't see women in the bookies. You know, you didn't you didn't see them or it was the odd woman who went in and she was the character of the area. Do you know what I mean? Everybody knew Mrs. So-and-so and she came in and she did whatever. I don't even know what the terminology is, but, you know, but by and large, you didn't see women in the bookies. And um, and that started that has definitely started to change. You know, I, I, I went into the bookies myself to do, you know, gambling stuff and you know, would have been around that lotto king because there was a higher payback than there was on the, the lotto itself, you know. And so it, it definitely crept into my life in, in that particular way, you know, um, where I would probably have seen if you were buying a raffle ticket for to support a cause or something, you know, somebody was whatever, there's a fundraiser going on and you're supporting a cause. I wouldn't have considered that gambling. But of course, you were spending whatever amount of money to win something. You know, you wanted to get that something back, you know. Um, but yeah, I definitely would have heard about it together in those rooms. And I would hear people talking about losing the home, mm. losing the farm, you know, losing the family because because of the gambling, the astronomical debt that people were getting into. And that was before online stuff. You know, that was before we had the the online stuff that we have now. So, so, you know, people were going down those roads to, to, um, to do that. And they weren't always, people didn't always stop one, you know, they may have stopped drinking, but they may have kept gambling, you know, because it's not drinking. So it wasn't a kind of an automatic thing that it, it changed for the person then, you know, um, talk to me about if there's anything or if you have anything around, uh, the the online stuff is there anything that we know so far about the online gambling 
Well, I mean, I suppose the accessibility when you're trying to manage an issue at clinic level, you're always trying to put in safeguards, you know, you know, with alcohol, you're looking at, you know, start later, um, go on low percentage, you know, there's all these kind of slight moderate things that you can do to modify the behavior. Um, I think what happened was the, you know, the blessing and the course of the internet, which opened up so many things and the digitalization of of kind of online platforms for gambling came with that Mm -hmm. um thankfully i know in ireland not not so long ago we we've set a parameter so you can't gamble into the night anymore but i mean for a lot of people they didn't they didn't uh, benefit from that in the past um, so there are parameters that there, but again, you can work around, you can gamble in a different space because that's what the internet does, doesn't it? It opens up other markets to you. So it's, it's yeah, I mean, trying to manage this is a very difficult thing. It's interesting what you said about, you know, recognizing it in the room, you know, the AA rooms or, you know, and we know that about gambling when we look at, because me and you often talk about, well, what does that population look like? Well, in terms of, and I think we tried to do this, isn't it? Like to look at the demographics. So we know that, and it's two things you hit on. One, if you have an issue with drugs or alcohol, um, an alcohol or drug uh, use disorder, one in five people or 20% of people um, have a coexisting gambling yeah. issue. But um, in terms of gambling on its own, then we know that males are more likely to be gamblers than females. So, again, it sinks to your your earlier thing. But again, like everything, I think that's creeping up Uh, age. Then, you know, young to middle aged adults are more likely to develop a gambling disorder than not. People with psychiatric issues like anxiety, impulsive control or depressive disorder, again, very likely higher rates of suicide, you know, as I say, when people get to the stage that they need treatment, there's been a lot of debt accumulated. Um, And a lot of people pulled into that. And you can only imagine if you have to sit with the guilt of that, and then what comes with guilt comes, you know, shame of not being able to get out of that. And Mm. we talk about this often, that's what gets people, you know, so that's what causes the spiral down. Again, indigenous populations are more likely to gamble and not surprisingly then in terms of socioeconomic backgrounds, people with, you know, from more lower socioeconomic backgrounds and with with less access to opportunity are more likely to gamble. Because again, as a human being, you have to understand people try to latch on to what they can. And if you don't have any opportunities and then like you say, you see the lotto when you think well someone has to win it mm. you can easily see how people are trying their best and it just gets out of control yeah you know and it's it's an avenue it's a possibility and sometimes that possibility as i say is is to someone's detriment but you on a human level you can see if you don't have access to something that this could be perceived as a as a pathway to kind of success you know so uh, not surprising in terms of the demographics or what what that looks like. So, Sandra, in terms of the online space that you're providing in Recovery Hour, is there any insights you could give us in terms of the challenges that you face trying to support someone with a gambling habit? Sure, yeah. The early days, the very early days of Recovery Hour, uh, 
the, it was, took a number of weeks before the um, the online Zoom meetings got got up and running in the UK specifically. Now I'm talking about there was a lot of people from the UK coming in, and uh, b- because there was a member of one of the meetings coming in for al- alcohol, and uh, so anyway, he brought a lot of people in, and that was great. That really enriched the group, and we all we all kind of learned something that that we didn't quite realize. So. I suppose some of the difficulties that people talked about, and we we'd quite a public piece about this on Twitter, where one of the the, the men was uh, going through a whole process of disengaging from the apps that he was using on his phone or his, his laptop. So all these very easy ways to set up these accounts and put money into and your bank details. So the money came then directly from his bank, which is very worrying. You know, um, but trying to to disengage from that was quite quite difficult. So there is a particular app that you can do, and it it helps, and it kind of shuts all the things down. But what he found was, and you're not allowed to access these apps for I think two years. I think that's the period of time that they're active for, where you can't you can't do that, you can't access them. So they recognise your personal details so that would be the level of detail that these apps would have on people you know which again is very worrying but when he was disengaging from that he was being bombarded with messages on his phone with adverts on his phone for free spins and free this and a free 10 pound whatever if you do whatever you know and that was really like you can just imagine how stressed out he was I mean serious serious difficulties he was trying to deal with and um and being bombarded with these ads you know just not being able to get away from the ads and you're just like what the hell is going on you know um so we had quite a public piece around that on twitter calling those agencies out and saying you know come on like if you're be if you're putting the personal responsibility i think that's another difficulty people have but it, it's like you know we're alcohol as well is that we have this substance or we have this capacity for people to get into difficulty, but then the, all of the responsibility is put on the individual to be responsible, you know? So, so when you then say to one of these agencies, you know, like help us out here, stop showing these ads, but sure, that's all about revenue and that's all about money and the individual doesn't really, doesn't really count in that, you know? Um, so th- that, that was the surprising thing for me was how easy it was to get into how easy it was for your money to be taken, but how difficult if you won, it was to collect that money back. That's very difficult apparently is if you actually win to get that money back and then to disengage then where you, you're not seeing these trigger ads uh, was even even more difficult. Yeah, and I've heard people talk about that. As you say, it's made so seamless to kind of get you in there and often when people are trying to cash out as you say it's given back in oh but if you throw it in you can get double so the odds are kind of and I'm doing rabbit ears supposedly stacked in your favor but as you say there's a whole psychology to it really yeah Um, and just again I suppose I can only imagine if you were a clinician trying to build a treatment plan for a person you know you're always trying to set parameters and and the one thing that we talk about when we're trying to look at substance use disorder is people place a situation so people that you use with places that you use in 
and situations that trigger you. And so whatever about gambling seems to be a bit of a lone um, process. I mean, obviously people can gamble at, 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 at cards and, and different kind of group activities, but generally people gamble on their own. And I suppose the one thing is, so it's, it's more the situations and the places. But if you think about, again, how accessible that's made, how do you get away from your smartphone? How do you get away from if you're trying to hold down a job and your computer's there? And when we start out doing stuff, we try to make it as easy as possible. And as you say, you set up all these automatic systems mm. and trying to get out of them is one thing. But when you've got a system that's set against you, Mm. you taunt you mm. it's a, it's basically like walking down a street where that's known for for dealing or you know a, a temple bar that's riddled with you know pub after pub so it's a yeah. bit it's almost like living in that 24 7 so again in terms of empathy and trying to understand it for a person it's a pretty difficult um situation to try and as i say set parameters and set a treatment plan for someone yeah. Um, and can I just say that one of the the plans that uh, this particular individual whose example I gave there, um, uh, one of the things that that he had to do was to set up his money uh, would was controlled by uh, a kind of a, a parent or a concerned partner, somebody who would manage the money so that he was he got an allowance every day for like petrol or lunch or that sort of stuff, you know, um, so if if you are going to take um money and do something with it that's gambling related the damage is kind of it's you know as limited as as you possibly can and there was a great sense of relief for him in that that he didn't have the money you know great sense of relief but after a while that relief then when the person starts to realize that they will have to step into a place where they're managing their own money at some stage you know and as time went on, that became a source of anxiety, you know, for him and understandably so. So the, it's it's a really complex, um, yeah, really, really complex situation to kind of move out of because like people with, with food uh, disorders, you have to eat food to stay alive. I mean, most of us have to eat food to stay alive anyway. So so managing the the overeating or the compulsive eating can be difficult. And similarly, with somebody with gambling, they have money in their pocket, you know, and we have to spend money on getting to petrol stations and bus fares and lunches and all that sort of stuff. So um, that 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 was a, a source of anxiety for him. Now, look, come here, it, it did its job and it, you know, we managed to kind of walk through it and that kind of thing. But um, but it's it's no mean feat. No, it's not easy. And as you say, when when we go back to the complexities, as I say, you're often talking about someone who's lost their job, may have lost their family, possibly lost their home, um, added psychiatric burden, um, health burden, you know, uh, physical. I mean, people may have, you know, like any addiction at that stage, the self-care has gone out the window. So again, you're looking at that level of complex needs. Um, so you're right, it's, it's a big issue and it's not e easily solved. Um, and as you say, the, the, the kind of gateway or the pathways to gambling are similar and they're in your life and they're in your everyday. It's in your pocket. It's on your desktop. It's on the telly. Um, it's with your friend. 
it's everywhere around you. So yeah, the ways in which you gamble are also ways that you need to kind of use in everyday life. So it is it is a difficult one. Yeah, yeah. I was looking just at some uh, information about GA because although I hear people talking about it a lot, I didn't really know that much about it. And uh, 1957 was the first kind of GA meeting. Uh, two people. Here we are again. There's a, a a recurring theme here: one person helping another person, and um and then the first meeting in Belfast in the island of Ireland anyway was 1962 and then in Dublin in 1968 and surprisingly because of an interview on the Late Late Show that's you know. and I actually have to say surprising to me um being on the other side of it uh because I would have just again in terms of clinics and treatment and science it, it seemed to be quite an emerging one but actually as you say as I said a couple of weeks ago, probably one of the better kept secrets in, in science, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's there and, and thankfully it is there for people to um, to tap into it. And, and just looking on the website the, for Ireland anyway, and I'm sure it's, it's the same globally, but there is some very interesting kind of frequently asked questions, you know, and kind of going through them, I was like, God, that's quite easy for people to identify you know, is this support system for me? Is this something that I can go along, try and see what it is? And and I suppose for somebody uh, like myself who didn't get into financial difficulty because of what I was doing, I couldn't not do it. You know, at the, the idea of missing, you know, the time slot that you have to get this thing into the into the bookies, like my heart would be racing. It would be like I'd be panicking having to get there for it so for anybody who's at that stage I'm going to say you don't have to go all the way to the terminus you know you don't have to go all the way to losing your house or your family or your business or you know so many people do but you don't if it if it's for me anyway and this is my measure if I'm feeling worse by not doing it or the anxiety is worse and even the thoughts of not doing it then I, I have something to look at I need to look at why I need this so much you know so um so yeah nobody has to go all the way to the terminus so um do take a look at the websites and do take a look at uh, what other supports are are out there you mentioned CBT and motivational inquiry as kind of some some treatments that are quite effective can you just tell us a little bit about about how they might work for a person right so I actually should have said motivational enhancement so you know it is, it, they are talking therapies, but they're quite time fixed and they have quite practical cognitive um, tasks. So they get you to think about your, your behavior and your triggers really, you know? So looking at the, the people, places, situations, getting you to kind of pull back and almost become your own analyst and kind of be able to kind of step in front of that behavior before it before it gets out of control. So it is effectively, you know, what we see in, in relapse prevention. So they show a lot of promise. Again, not so much in Ireland, I've not heard this, but in the US then, you know, we talk about sober living. So houses and communities that, residential communities that support people 
who are going through a process of recovery and provide a safe place to live um, with some enhancements and, and, and support. Um, so they are something that's shown great promise in certainly in the US. Um, as I say, I think, you know, residential treatment, it, it traditionally has been something that, you know, is in operation in most countries and has its benefits, but it often have, they often have long waiting lists. Mm -hmm. um, some of the providers uh, fees are quite high because they're private providers. So access to treatment again is an issue. Um, and then in terms of, of, of private or uh, community-based supports rather, sorry. So, so community supports then, um, in your neighborhood, I think we're slim on the ground with that stuff. Mm. So when we're talking about um, accessing treatment, we're supposed to be trying to make it as easy as we can for a population. So it is about placing it in the community, making it visible, making it inviting, um, you know, being empathetic, compassionate, all those things. Um, but the first stop is having it, mm. making it available. And I don't see that many supports at a community level for gambling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The probably the most common one is the the Gamblers Anonymous, and yeah, um, yeah they're yeah. definitely definitely a list on on websites that people can check and see what's in their area or close by to them. Yeah, and like your good self, you know, people in the pandemic became really excellent at providing workarounds and providing space for people to 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 connect with like-minded people because as we say the fellowship is great and we know why it works with Bill's community has connection has like-minded people has that level of support is free mm. um, and is absolutely accessible because there's hundreds of thousands of meetings and because I talked about earlier on the internet makes that even more available um, but as we have also identified, maybe fellowship is not for everyone. Mm. So to check out those other supports as well. Yeah. And, and definitely with recovery hour, uh, there is no requirement to um, have a singleness of purpose. So we start at the point of recovery. We start at the point of I want to make a, an improvement in my life. And wherever that's from is wherever that's from, wherever your thing is, if you like that that you decided I want to change this, that's the point we start at, you know? So, um, so that's definitely a, a, an option for people if they, if they want to. And as we say, the internet meetings are accessible and support groups. There's lots of other support groups on the internet where people can just access support, just access talking to somebody else. And, um, and that's there as much as the, the other stuff is. Uh, that's super. That's super. Thanks for that. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Over and out. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Recovery with Professor Johanna Ivers and recovery coach Sandra Losty.